This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the Old City of Jerusalem. We're looking at the Temple Mount. I'm not ignoring you. You don't exist. The belief in Judaism about God is that he is one. Now, when I say the belief in Judaism, I don't mean the belief in God. We're not into belief in God. The Rambam says we have to know there's a God. It's not enough to believe. In fact, he says that uh, the Gentiles are allowed to believe, whereas the Jews have to know. And what does it mean to know anyway? How, how are you supposed to know there's God? I mean, you know you're wearing a red sweater, or you, you know there's a table in front of you, or you know you know, you got five fingers on your right hand. So how, do you, how are you supposed to know there's a God? So what it really means there is that you have to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, this world's being, or has been created by a a being beyond creation. That much you got to know. You got to get to that intellectually. Different people have different intellects, so it doesn't matter what your level of evidence is. Meaning, if you look at uh, knowledge, there's obviously absolute knowledge, like you have five fingers on your fingers, on your hand, and then there's deductive knowledge, which is going to be under that. You deduce it, and there's always a level of evidence. So, different people need different evidence to people. Different people need different evidence on their on God's existence. So, some people, you know, a high school dropout is not going to need a ton of uh, a ton of criteria. Whereas maybe a PhD, maybe a physicist, maybe they'd like more information. Maybe a historian or something. Depending on your, and also on your intellect itself, meaning your, your actual intelligence, will be how much evidence you may need. Whereas another person may go very low. You know, they might go there and already say, hey, there's a God. Whereas another person might be quite difficult to get them there. But no one's going to there unless, of course, you get prophecy or something, which we just discussed. I think that Sri Lankan guy might have had. But, uh, I think that's a PH, right? Probably rabbis always spell prophet with an F. Unless you get prophecy, which is, um, I mean, don't hold your breath for prophecy. So chances are you're going to have some gap here between deductive and absolute knowledge. There's going to be a gap for you, and that's fine. When the, when the Rambam said you have to know there's a God, he was saying deduct, you have to be able to deduce it. And we all live with deductive knowledge, nothing wrong with that. Uh, all of you got on airplanes to get here. You didn't know, you deduced it, that you'd, you'd make it. You risked your life. And you risk your life on financially, and you risk your life every time you get in the car, and you risk your life every time you're on a bike, because I may be on the road. And you, sorry, I was supposed to say walk. And uh, and you risk your life every time you, um, uh, you 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 get married. Like, are you going to know that's your soulmate? So, so there's, there's it's okay. It's okay to live with deductive knowledge. You do everything else with deductive knowledge. Why shouldn't you be able to have your relationship with God reductive knowledge but the issue is here there's something you just got to watch out for is there's people this guy here who have the ever increasing the ever increasing uh, threshold meaning this guy's threshold was here this guy's threshold was here but this guy here has the ever increasing threshold you know why because his human psychology is anytime you introduce fear if you introduce a fear to the equation suddenly they get unintellectual Meaning they'll get in a plane because if they're seriously afraid of flying, they won't. But given that like they're only semi-afraid of flying like all of us are, 
they will get on the plane. And if someone's seriously scared of marriage, so then they will, they, they will push it off. And just, there's never enough evidence that this is the right person for them. And so it just gets pushed and pushed until they're you know, in their 30s, 40s, or never get married because of their fear of, of intimacy, fear of relationship. And so when you introduce a fear factor, what happens is people's, people's threshold for evidence gets dishonest. They become intellectually dishonest in their pursuit. And they pretend they're honest, meaning they'll, they'll ask you to set them up on a date, or they'll ask a rabbi a ton of questions, or they'll come to Asha Torah and speak to all the intellectual rabbis who have proofs of God, or they'll, or they'll go to discovery seminar. Or, you know, they'll do all these things, but they're really jokers, these guys. What they're not doing is facing their fears. This is why once in a while someone will raise their hand in this class and, the, and you know, this, this girl says, Rabbi, I've asked a lot of rabbi this question and nobody knows the answer. So I know automatically that if, if she's asked a lot of rabbis this question and nobody knows the answer, what's really going on is she doesn't want the answer. And it really serves her to not get the answer. When you really want an answer and it really makes a difference to you, so you're, you're, that answer is going to either hit you right between the eyes or it's going to be very close. And you're going to be able to move it between the eyes with maybe a little more clarification or perhaps speaking to someone else on the subject who maybe knows more about it. But if you really want something and it has to do with God or terror or anything like that, you know, seek and you shall find. But you've got to be honest about your fear factor and how much it serves you to stay vague on God. And we do stay vague. Let me just prove it to you right now. Shall I prove to you how vague you like to be with God? How it serves you to stay vague? So, um, here's a question. If you had absolute five-fingered clarity, absolute clarity that there was a God, is there anything you wouldn't do for God? <laughs> There's nothing you wouldn't do for God. Like, you'd do anything for God. You'd be like Abraham, sacrificing your own child if you had absolute 100% clarity. Therefore, better stay vague because if more clarity means you do it, so then cl- more, clar- more vagueness means more autonomy. And we all have this false sense of autonomy. As if, some, as if you like lose your free will up here. You don't lose your free will up here. All you do is rake in more and more free will points with constant ch- good choices, good choices, good choices, good choices, good choices, because you got clarity. So you still have free will. You just have a lot of clarity. But the rest of us have this... Weird, unconscious desire for, for autonomy. Because we don't like to think that... We don't like to see ourselves under God's microscope all the time. Meaning nobody wants a surveillance camera in their bathroom. But when you live with full clarity of God, so guess what? There's a surveillance camera everywhere. And it's, the surveillance camera is in your thoughts. You realize you're going to be judged for your thoughts. That's pretty freaky. Imagine you had a megaphone on your brain that you couldn't shut off, and you, you didn't know it, and you walked out of the house that day, and you're just walking down the street, and there's, like, full announcements coming off your head. You know, a big megaphone's coming off your head. Like, two big speakers are coming off, like horns, coming off with announcing your thoughts as you're walking down Jaffa Street or Ben Yehuda. Uh, what would you do? You'd freak. You'd freak. You'd, like, find the nearest basement, just dive in there and just, like, cover your head with as many blankets as you could and like someone get this thing off of me well God is fully aware of all your thoughts which is really crazy because he's aware of my thoughts how can you be aware of your thoughts in my mind 
<laughs> we we don't realize how awesome God is. Like God's like super intense. You know, not to mention, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever noticed how God's orchestrating your life for you? Have you noticed lately that your life's being totally orchestrated? What's your name? Maggie. Maggie, you notice that? You things have been orchestrated for you. Okay, very good. Do you realize I'm being orchestrated for you right now? And well, guess what you're being? Yeah, you're being orchestrated for me. All of you are. And I'm being orchestrated for you. And I have full free will right now while you've all been orchestrated around me. And you have full free will right now while I'm being orchestrated around you. And your whole life is being totally orchestrated as you make your choices, which is wild. And then the whole question, do you even have choice? But there's no way I'm touching that right now. But, they, but you're, you're walking around your life in this full orchestration, but so is everyone else. So all the people being orchestrated are actually... Now, once in a while, have you ever felt the feeling where, like, God perfectly orchestrated you for someone? Meaning, meaning you went to the place, but it wasn't really open, but someone else was there who needed you, or... You know what I mean? Like, like Rachel, have you ever felt orchestrated around someone else? I've felt that a lot. It's an amazing feeling. Amazing feeling to feel like, just like, God literally put thoughts in my mind to puppet me across town to a closed door. That was like, no one had been in that shop and been out of business for half a year. And here I am at that closed door when this guy walks up and says, like, I needed to speak to, with you desperately. And I'm just thinking, how do I get in touch with you? And you're standing right here. And I've never stood there before. I'm just, like, standing at a closed door. So it's nice to be orchestrated for people. And it's a really nice thing. And, and then when people ask you whether you can help them so you can actually go with it because God orchestrated you. For them, but you do have to be careful because um, when you, when someone's asking for help, you have to you have to make them better somehow. <laughs> you have to better their situation without worsening your own. Meaning, we always help like a candle. Can't one candle can light a thousand candles? So you have to. If it makes you worse helping somebody, that's not your job. And if it's going to be a kind of situation where it's not even going to get them better. So then what do you do? You buy the person a sandwich or something and move on. Like someone with broader shoulders is going to have to help this case. This is not your case. So anyway, in case you're ever wondering when you're supposed to like jump in to help, you know what I'm talking about? Where you feel like, is this my mitzvah or is it not? It's kind of a tough call sometimes. So there's two things. One is, are you going to be the candle that doesn't get diminished by the mitzvah? And two is, is this person... Uh, is this? Can you really help this person, or is this like way out of your league? And if it's way out of your league, so I'll give you one last way to know: is if the, if yes to helping this person is a big fat no to you or your spouse and children, so then the answer is no. Okay, because that's diminishing your candle. So, but I'm just it's the way the way I like to say it is: if yes to them is no to you, the answer is no. If yes to them is no to you, the answer is no. And so. That's something to be careful of in general. And also, uh, and also just in general for, for uh, people, not to let people play your heartstrings if it's going to make you worse by, being, by saying yes to something. Because there are, I mean, there are great marketers out there that will get you into stuff that's really not going to be good for you in the long run. Uh, for example, uh, uh, there's a lot of marketing around alcohol, a lot of marketing around tobacco. Um, there's a lot of marketing around, well, all kinds of things that are not going to make you healthier, you know, junk food and stuff. So you got to be careful. Those are those could diminish you, and you want to be careful of that. And and if a little is bad, then 
if a lot's bad, then a little's, you know, really got to be seriously considered before you indulge. And then obviously there's people. There's certain people are really dangerous people. And, and they, they will, they're good marketers for why you should be involved with them. And you got to be careful of those people because yes to them is going to be a big fat no to you. And that's why uh, uh, they, some of these people who are, who are womenizers, they, have, uh, they, they know that every girl in the world is desperate to be loved. Boys also are desperate to love, but we'll take attention instead. Girls are desperate to be loved and they will not take attention instead. You know, they're just desperate to be loved. So there's, there are men out there that know that. And so you got to be really careful that you're not a target. And, and when I say a target, what I'm talking about is really a girlfriend. Don't be anyone's girlfriend. Do not, you never give nothing to nobody without an insurance policy on your wedding finger, on your ring finger. You got a wedding policy on your ring finger, give it up. You got no insurance policy, so then you're going to be diminished by this. It might not be this week, next week, a month from now. It could even be a year from now, but you will be diminished. And you'll be handing your husband less of you when you finally do get a man who's courageous enough to take you on as a spouse. Like the poor guy who finally had the courage to take you on. Like to give him less than he deserves. He's the one who deserves you. And until a man's willing to put it all on the line like that with a wedding ring, the answer is no. And, and, and you're, you don't be anyone's victim. And they, they're always going to market, just like Marlboro and just like Red Bull and just like Budweiser. They're going to be marketing, and their main word they'll be using is the word love, which is like a sacred word and not to be used cheaply and certainly never to be used until there's insurance policies on the finger. And then you can talk love. Okay. So that was just a little advice. I always try to give a little advice in my classes because so many young people here could use a little help in navigating. Now we go back to God. So, so we, have, um, we have here the... the uh, not, to know there's a God is not, getting in that relationship with God. Once you know there's a God, so, so now that it's about the relationship with God. Because you've got to have a relationship with this being. And it's kind of infinite. So it's a little interesting being a finite being, trying to have an inf- a relationship with the infinite. You ever tried having a relationship with the infinite? <laughs> He's like, I haven't even tried that. Yeah. You ever tried it? No. <laughs> you ever tried to have a relationship with the infinite? Uh, <laughs> great. Amazing. How's that going so far? It's pretty uh, dang challenging. <laughs> dang challenging. So, so a lot of people try to have a relationship with the infinite. A lot of people don't even bother. Have you tried, Peter, having a relationship with the infinite? <laughs> dabbling, dabbling in it. It can it can be pretty frustrating for sure. And uh, and and if I can help you, all of you have this relationship. Would you like to have a relationship with the infinite? If I can help you, it's really not as complicated as you think, and it's. Uh, and it also is, um, chances are it's the trying that's getting in the way. Did you notice I was asked, did you ever try to have a relationship? You notice my key word was try there. You ever tried to fall asleep? Yeah. How'd that go? I actually tried it last night <laughs> for, like, for about three or four minutes till I realized what I was doing. And then I just went, 
cocked out. So, you ever tried to experience Shabbat? Shabbat is the cessation of manipulative matter, manipulating stuff. So, how do you feel that? It's when you stop trying to feel it, maybe you'll feel something. It's when you stop trying to fall asleep that maybe you'll fall asleep. It's when you stop trying to love that maybe you might feel love in your life. There's a lot of things in life that are very sacred. And the way you get to them is by stop trying. So trying to have a relationship with God is not going to be very helpful. So that's the first thing you, got, you should realize is stop trying. The next thing is, the next thing is, is that, is that your conscious self, this will be a very good piece of information for a, a lot of you, or really anybody, your conscious self is connected already. Your conscious mind is connected to God already. But you have a, another part of your brain that is your, the part of your brain that does all of your calculations and you know, all of your, um, the part of your brain that's, uh, you know you have a big part of your brain that's worrying about navigation, <laughs> like your life. Like even this class, like it's a little hard to navigate because you never know where I'm going with it. And so life, like just walking, if you walk out the store and you want to go towards the bathroom over there, you, you're going to have to use the past to get there. Either whether it's your memory of where the bathroom is or your memory of walking. Because good luck getting to the bathroom without remembering how to walk. So you're going to be definitely projecting your navigation to the bathroom. That part of your brain, which I just very simply described, is, goes out of control when you don't have it in control. That part of your brain... That just is the part of your brain that gets you across the floor or helps you drive a car down the street or helps you understand language or, or produce language. That part of your brain, when, un, when un, uh, um, uh, observed, when it's unobserved, that part of your brain can really go crazy. And, and did I say crazy? Don't use the word crazy now. Can really go, kind of work overtime, like working overtime. And well, what it does is it, it, it basically hijacks the conscious brain, which is at one with God. So you're at one with God right now in your conscious mind. As long as you can get that part of your brain that's calculating the whole time out of the way. I'll give you in a proof just to show you real quick. Is that can you think about now? Everyone, take a moment and think about now. Like, can you do it? No. You cannot do it. It's because the now you'd be thinking about is already what? Yes. It's already gone. So your brain can't think about now. Now, where is God? When is God? No. Now. God's, well, he's forever beyond. But God's USB cable interface with creation is when? Now. Where? Everywhere. Well, let's, let's own our place here. Own your space here. He's, he's, he's interfacing now. Where? Here. Here. That's the interface with God. But your brain can't think of now because it's already in the past. So therefore, you already know that using your brain is not going to be very helpful. Meaning that part of your brain. You have a lot of parts of the brain. But using that particular aspect of your brain is not going to be very helpful. What in, about in the future? Are well, you well you got, you, the calculating brain is wonderful for the future. It's wonderful for the future. And, and sadly, the future doesn't exist. So we're wasting our time most of the time with the brain job with the future. The brain's very good with the future. 
But it loves, and it loves putting the future now. Like if my elbow's now and that's the future. So it loves throwing you over to here. In other words, it likes to dump everything you've got to do over the next months or years and put it all right here. And it all just kind of lands on you. Can you guys deal with your whole future now? No. That's what's anxiety. The, the anatomy of anxiety is when you project from now using that part of the brain that cal- that's calculating all the things you're going to have to be doing, half of which you can do nothing, more than half of which you can do nothing about right now sitting in this room. And, and what happens is it just becomes like a drawbridge and just dumps into now. And that creates great anxiety for people. And this is the definition of anxiety. But if you just let the drawbridge go back to where it belongs, you stay in the moment. And then you just, you deftly, that's a fancy word, but it's with an F. Uh, you deftly plan your future. So as soon as it's planned, you can now not think about it because it's no longer going to be helpful or necessary at all to waste any of your brain, which, is, which, which eclipses... Your presence. So everyone take a moment for presence. You know, we'll do a snap on three. Um, do me a favor and just turn off the AC for a second. When I, when I, when I say the number two, you turn it off. Okay, it's going to go off for our snap. We're going to snap on four. So we're going to count. Everyone's going to have the God experience. Ready for the God experience? Who wants to have a relationship with the infinite? I, let me just repeat real quick. It is totally connected to your consciousness. It's just that your consciousness is constantly getting hijacked by that monkey brain of yours that keeps projecting and not to mention licking its wounds from the past. And if I can go a little further, that was a cool one. That was great. Not great for the video, though. You can put that back on top switch. So, yeah. So, the... That... Just press it once, the top switch. So that... What was I just saying? Oh! Another thing, remember we spoke about you have to have known how to walk to walk across the room? Yeah, you have to have that part of your brain that's calculating based on the past to get to the future. So you know about that? So, so check this out. It also, and any of you were in my class yesterday with a giant list on the board? So it also has to it, has to, it reviews all the wounds you've ever gotten and then calculates into the future to make sure that situation, that scenario is never recreated. And so you walk, you walk through a maze, but the maze is covered with, with, uh, with graters, <laughs> like carrot graters. It's a maze, but the walls of the maze are graters, and it gets narrower and narrower as your life goes on because you have to be so vigilant to make sure no one ever peels you off and gets you back to those types of things. So your past mind, which suffered many boo-boos, meaning we all went through stuff, and there's nobody who was... You know, I, I can tell you because I was the most bubble-wrapped person probably in this room. Like, I was completely and utterly protected from anything ever going wrong growing up. And, and therefore, the few stupid things that happened were all it took to just knock me into a tailspin for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And, years. and constant calculating, like, you know, oh, what are they going to think of me here? And I hope they like me. And, wow, I better sound smart now, or I better be cool now, or I better this now, and I better that now, and I better that now. So I, I, you think I was ever at a party? I was never at a party. I was the biggest party animal, but I was never there. I was so busy with that calculating mind that the present mind couldn't be there. And you think I surfed all those years? I surfed six to eight hours a day for 12 years straight. 
You think I was ever actually surfing? People used to ask me, what's it like out there? You know, because I was a big wave rider, so you got like 20, 30 foot waves. And the answer is that I risked my life for 12 years in hopes that people would have something to talk about when we drink beers later that night for some insane wave I took that they would, you know, that would be recognized that I, that I, you know, really pulled something off that was intense that day. And those are all my most memorable waves, or just those waves. And obviously my other most memorable waves was when I pulled back. And I really should have gone. And uh, you can never get that back. You know, like, those, those are painful. And of course, half my pain, all my pain is that, is that, you know, what would they have said had I pulled into that wave and gone for it? We're talking about, like, you're like staring down a four-story building off the edge of a four-story building and just dropping your surfboard under you and just like just flying into that thing and that thing pitches towards the shore. Like as big as the wave is, it pitches towards the shore in a giant barrel. <laughs> you don't want to pull back there, man. You'll never forget it. And I remember every single wave that I pulled back. And I didn't pull back a lot, believe me, but the few I did, I will never live it down. And, and therefore, I know in my life that, that there's those go-for-it moments and you just got to go for it. That makes all the difference in life. And, uh, but it, it was all calculation. So everyone just take a moment before we turn off the lights and get real present. I'm sorry, turn off the AC and get really present. Is um, think for a moment how much calculating you'd be doing in one day to somehow project your day to be safe. Like think how much projections involved there. Not a lot of time for presence. And then you ask yourself, well, well, or I ask you, like, have you had a, have you tried to have a relationship with the infinite? And, and I'm telling you, the infinite, the infinite is shining through you. That's your battery pack. The infinite's shining through you. It's your conscious mind, the conscious mind. Not the mind that, not the brain calculating. So we went as simple as crossing a room to hi, hijacking presence. To, wow, I'm on a psychologically layered level calculating all day long in ways I don't even know. Because think about it, you really know? You know how you calculate based on your boo-boos of the past? You're, it's so built in you, you could never even describe it. What's your name? David. David, you couldn't even describe it. I mean, unless you were like this masterful personal growth freak who like totally knows how he'd calculate, which you wouldn't do anymore because once you know how you'd calculate, would you keep calculating? No, because it's, it, it's ripping you off. You're a victim of your calculation. All that part of your brain that's premeditating every situation is stealing your life. And can you imagine dying before you were able to figure out how you calculate? How scary would that be? I mean, can you imagine God asking you, like, you know, May, May, Maggie? Can you imagine God asking you, what's your name? Rachel. Can you, can you imagine God asking you, Maggie and Rachel? When you turn one, you know, if you died before you figured out how you've been spending your whole life in a dream, calculating to avoid scenarios that could show up similar to scenarios that were painful in the past, that'd be scary. And then God would be like, Okay, uh, you forgot to live. You forgot to live. 
Don't forget life. Life only really begins when you're present. That's when life is. And we all, you know you've had those moments and you yearn for them, right? Don't you yearn for those great present moments? And why aren't they more often? Why don't you have them more often? The answer is because I've got layered calculations going on that keep hijacking the presence. They keep hijacking my present being. And so I, I rarely get to break through to something that feels divine. And that's why it's just so important that you, that you figure it all out. You've got to figure out how you calculate. It's not enough just to go to some new age thing and like just go, you know, or eat some magic mushroom or something. I mean, that, that's powerful. It would certainly set a new vision, perhaps, for you that would be, you know, better than the one you had. But it's not going to, you're not going to know how you calculate you're not gonna, that's not going to be so clear. And so you'll probably wind up falling right back into your calculations soon afterwards. Anyway, so we, we got to get that wired. Okay, here we go. We're going to go full presence. On the count of four, we're going to snap our fingers. So everyone get your snappers ready? Get your snappers ready. On four, we're going to snap. So I'm going to go, I'm going to say one, two, three, and then on four, we'll snap. And then you're going to take a breath. And you're just going to be totally present. David, you can uh, stand still at the beginning and then take a seat. We'll leave it off for a while. Ready? So on two, press it. One, two, three. your arms if they're not relaxed. Many of you are tr- thinking you still have to do something for this. I'd rather you have your eyes open and watch the thoughts go by and see how they suddenly got less imperative. They got less, they just took on less mean. they dropped a lot of their meaning in your presence. So let's do it again. We're going to do it a few times. Ready? And I knew, by the way, a lot of people were going to go like that or like that. It's fine. Let's keep our eyes open and stay present so we can watch some thoughts because the eyes take in tons of stimulation, so there will be thoughts. But watch the thoughts. That's all you need is to see it. Once you see it, it'll go quiet. Here we go. One, two, three. The infinite is interfacing with us right now. The finite exists only by the moment. If you think this room was here a minute ago, it was not. It it does exist psychologically, meaning there's something called psychological time, which is the room that was here a minute ago, but it's purely psychological. Someone show me the room from a minute ago. You can't. It's a psychological phenomenon. And a minute from now is also a psychological thing because time, we get fooled by time. We start to think we're walking along some time continuum, some like space-time continuum. There is a space-time continuum, but it only exists now because God only creates it now. 
God is creating the world. He's mechadesh the world. He's renewing it. He's constantly renewing the creation. The actual ten utterances. If you were to stop saying, let there be vegetation upon the earth, all your tables would disappear. This is world, this, this room is being created now by this creator. This is the USB cable interface between God and creation. And you can witness that and be part of it just being here. Which is why I tell Gentiles, stop saying you want to convert to Judaism. Because I know a lot of people who keep Judaism, they don't have this. And it can totally occupy your life to just be in touch with God just like this. And then you, when you get really good at it, you can go to work and you can go play and you can go do your thing. And I imagine me shooting through the forest on my mountain bike yesterday. And Friday, I'm also going surfing because the waves are really big right now. And like, do that surfing. Feel the interface. Feel the interface when you're when you're with your spouse, when you're hugging your children. We're supposed to be doing this all the time, my friends. This isn't like a special day in the essentials class for this. This isn't, it's not like a little like special moment where we're going to be present. You're supposed to be present always. And that's the disappointment of the Jews. Is that we get so busy with our mitzvahs we forget to actually experience God in the mitzvah. There's a lot to do. I mean, there's 55,000 laws, and I'm keeping them, but, but I catch myself, you know, getting caught up in the details sometimes. And I do the details. I'm not going to not do them, but, but I'm going to make sure that I'm present in the experience, which takes preparation before the mitzvah. You've got to get ready for the mitzvah, because you might, you might miss your mitzvah. Any of you light candles, Shabbos night? Anyone here lights candles? A couple of ladies light Shabbos candles. So this time, don't light them so quickly. Wait a moment. Wait a moment. Get yourself present to your mitzvah. Anyone here make Kiddush, Shabbos night? Kiddush. This, tonight, this Shabbos, take a moment before you start. Make sure you're there. Make sure you're not projecting, because think, the only thing in the way of your dinner is Kiddush. So maybe we can just like get it out of the way here. Are mitzvahs in your way? Is benching in your way to get where you got to go? Or is, is mincha in your way to get your evening plans started? Okay, let's snap on four. Ready? One. This time we're really going to be totally here, but watching our thoughts a little bit. Keeping the eyes open so that there's some thoughts running. One, two, three. And take it on that it's this is not special. This is the way life is supposed to be. No calculating necessary. Doesn't matter if I like you or not. Doesn't matter if I think you're smart. It just doesn't matter. You're just you and that's great. However smart you are at this point is how smart you are at this point. And 
mean, I certainly don't judge people based on brains. So, just enjoy. Okay. Um, let's go a little deeper. <laughs> the, oh, you had a question? Um, I just wanted to know, you're not supposed to think about the future at all. Do you think do you think I would tell you not to think about the future mm-hmm. plan? First, I already said it earlier. You missed me saying it. Of course, you're supposed to plan. You got to plan. You shouldn't pay attention to the future. Never, except while planning. Only while planning. It might be good for you to write out your plans. Just get them on paper, then you can fold it up and put it away. Like I'm, I'm one of the busier people I know. I, I got my plans all on my calendar. I never think about my calendar. I'm lucky if I look at it before I go to bed for the next day. So I'll just wake up to it. Let's see what's there. Um, Sometimes I don't look at it in the morning either, which is really bad. Uh, Meaning I I don't look till after I prayed. And then I'm like, oh, I got to run. And then I race out and didn't eat anything. and Didn't have time to have breakfast with my wife or something. But... but, uh, yeah, you just get your plans somewhere. Get them off-site. Put your plans off-site. You know what that means, off-site? Yeah. Like, uh, put your thoughts in the cloud. Yeah. In cyberspace. Put your plans in, si- in the cloud. They're, as long as they're there, you're all set. You might need a buzzer. Like, you can get so present. Like, I'm pretty present. I need something to buzz. I heard that the new... Uh, iPhone watch. Is it called an iPhone watch? What's it called? Apple, Apple watch? I watch. <laughs> they don't, is there a name for that watch? Anyway, I heard it, I heard it, uh, it actually can detect your heart rate. Mm-hmm. Can it even warn you if something's wrong? Yes. Any, yes. Uh, um, uh, who's you? A, uh, a no, I think this is something else. I think it actually can. It, I think it can monitor for irregularities while you're having your day go on. That's pretty cool. It's a lot better than dropping, you know, and, and finding out after, you know, that uh, had you only pressed, you know, pressed check. You know. Anyway, but I, I might get one of those if it's uh, if it actually checks for you. That'd be cool. So then you never have to check. Because it's checking. Uh, okay, where are we at? We're good. So I wanted to go deeper. You guys want to go deeper or is it late? Oh, it's after four. Shalom, everybody. Have a beautiful day. Keep it up, though. Don't leave the meditation we're in right now. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.